Your patient was sent home from the hospital last week and has had five episodes of explosive malodorous diarrhea today. What do you do? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. Today our guest is Dr. L. Clifford McDonald, a medical epidemiologist in the Epidemiology and Laboratory Branch, Division of Health Quality Promotion at the Centers for Disease Control. He has investigated Clostridium difficile outbreaks and written extensively on the subject. Welcome, Dr. McDonald. Thank you. Well, I think I gave away some of the discussion already, but of course, the first question I have is, uh, what are the symptoms of Clostridium difficile? Well, certainly diarrhea is the major one, along with that abdominal pain, fever. We usually don't see much vomiting. We usually don't see uh, much in the way of blood in the stool, at least not in adults. So it's diarrhea, uh, tenismus, sometimes pain and with defecation, and and the fever uh, often that's present. Some of my patients who apparently have had uh, Clostridium difficile have remarked on a rather remarkable odor. Is that part of this condition that is somewhat unique to this, or has that not been noted? Well, the C. difficile organism in the laboratory has a very characteristic smell, like horse manure, actually, because, in fact, C. difficile is often found in horse manure, and it actually does cause disease in horses as well. But that's not the smell that is usually characterized as C. difficile. There have been some studies that suggest that people can pick up a, a characteristic smell, particularly very experienced nurses can kind of sniff out C. difficile. But I think, as I recall, those studies suggested that it's a uh, good positive predictive value, but not a very good negative predictive value, if I, if I recall correctly. But it, basically, it's it's not going to replace uh, doing a diagnostic test. Oh, I know. I, I see. I was just thinking in terms of what patient complaints are. I haven't really heard that that is anything that distinguishing anyway. And in terms of the diarrhea, is there any rule of thumb about how many times a day, or is it very variable? Well, at least three bowel movements a day of unformed stool. And and basically, people are going to just be looking for that. These days, you know, especially in the inpatient side, you can't wait for several days of diarrhea to prove that they've had diarrhea that long. Usually, as an outpatient, you're going to tell people not to run in at the first episode of diarrhea or even the first day necessarily. Most people who are well enough to be as outpatients probably are instructed generally, and this is what we've said, uh, diarrhea lasting more than three days, or if accompanied by fever or abdominal pain, uh, to seek medical care. But you know, at least three loose bowel movements a day, and probably in the inpatient site, you don't want to just right away run off and test everyone with a loose stool. You want to wait to see that that they're having multiple loose stools. Is uh, fever always associated with this? They can be afebrile, certainly. So a uh, fever is not a necessary requirement. And uh, what diagnostic test should be done? Well, what's done most commonly is, is maybe not what's most preferential, but it's what's being done. And, and uh, traditionally, I mean, the, the whole role of C. difficile, the organism and the toxins uh, causing this disease, uh, the epidemiology and the uh, pathogenesis of this was worked out using a tissue cytotoxin assay. Again, looking for free, free toxin in the stool, uh, the supernatant of the stool actually placed on a tissue culture and looking for cytopathic effect that then can be neutralized basically using an antibody against toxin B. And that was traditionally how this was done. Nowadays, everyone, the problem with that is the turnaround time was about 48 hours, but it's still sort of considered the gold standard for diagnosis of C. difficile. Uh, now everyone, most labs, over 90% of labs in the United States are using enzyme immunoassays for toxins A and or B. They were using just pure toxin A immunoassays until uh, some 
cases, notable cases uh, came out that were toxin A negative but B positive, and people, patients actually died of that and showing that toxin B alone was uh, uh, capable of causing the disease. So now a lot of the uh, anti-immunoassays are both toxin A and B. Uh, and that's usually the way diagnosis is being made. But we have to realize that there, all these enzyme immunoassays, probably their, their main Achilles heel is in the area of sensitivity, and uh, their negative predictive value may not be that good. Um, so in those instances, you really think they could have C. difficile, uh, have C. difficile, uh, one negative enzyme immunoassay might not be enough, and you should probably send another. Uh, after two tests, you've probably reached all you can get from an enzyme immunoassay. There is a lot of discussion right now and, and may even come up in future guidelines that maybe we need to be doing more sensitive testing. And uh, some of the paradigms that have been used uh, have included the use of uh, an antigen assay, which is very sensitive but not very specific, and using that as a quick turnaround screening test and then other more uh, time-consuming testing to follow on those that are positive. What about the role of culture? It's good in a lot of ways. I mean, we'd like to see more culture. One thing with culture is you have to culture for the organism and then prove that the organism is a toxin-producing strain. There are toxin-negative strains that don't cause disease. The other problem, of course, is the turnaround time. It's I talked about 48 hours for the tissue cytotoxin assay, but we're talking three to four days for the culture. So it's not that clinically useful when you've got that kind of turnaround time. But that might be used maybe as a follow-on to the antigen. If you have an antigen that's positive, maybe sending out a test result that says, you know, putative positive based upon antigen only, a confirmatory testing to follow. Some people might get put on therapy for a couple of days, but who turn out not to have C. difficile, but that might be one one way to do it. Uh, and then the nice thing about the cultures, then, then we have an isolate to work with and we can sort of track the disease a little better. So for the clinician, the uh, two tests to order, or if I understand correctly, are a toxin test and a culture or not bother with the culture or what should he do? What well, should he or what she you, do? What you could do here is, again, if, if the rapid turnaround test that you have available to you is an enzyme immunoassay, which in most facilities it is, and they're negative, realize if, if they really look like they have C. diff and they, and they look sick, um, you know, you as a clinician might need to override that negative test and go ahead and start them on therapy. You might do that uh, as you order another test if you don't already have them on therapy, you could order the enzyme immunoassay again. Um, but you could also at that point order a culture, realizing that, you know, you're going to have to make the, the clinical decision to treat someone before you have the culture uh, results back. Um, another thing you could do is, like I mentioned, is the tissue cytotoxin assay, which was traditionally the gold standard uh, for detecting free toxin in the stool. Uh, but that also has about a 48-hour turnaround time. So um, the diagnosis of C. difficile right now is not ideal, especially with the more virulent, severe forms of disease. We need to keep good clinical index of suspicion and, and treat people empirically um, before we can confirm the diagnosis in some instances. Which is uh, more sensitive, the culture or the uh, toxin test or the toxin uh, assays? Okay, well, that's an interesting point. They're, they're probably the most sensitive in finding that someone has a toxin-producing Clostridium difficile in their intestines, the most sensitive test is a culture. Now, PCRs may be on their way out soon, and maybe they will also be very, very sensitive in that way. The concern has been, as I mentioned before, is that the whole epidemiology and the way the pathogenesis and the, and the 
association with pseudomembranous colitis was really worked out on finding some free toxin in the stool. So in Europe, actually, some parties in Europe believe strongly that the toxigenic culture, which means you do a culture, and then when you get the isolate, you prove that it, it produces toxin or has the toxin genes in it. They really swear by that. And it, it is more sensitive, but some other C. diff experts in this country particularly feel that that's not what was shown to correlate with the development of pseudomembranous colitis, and that that may be too sensitive, and that people can actually have the C. diff seal in their intestines, have diarrhea for another reason, and the two are true but not related. So I'm not giving you a short answer on it, but yes, the most sensitive thing is probably a culture or a PCR when that becomes available for a, a toxin-producing organism. Um, the gold standard, like I said, uh, for association with actual disease was the tissue cytotoxin assay. What everyone agrees generally in the C. diff uh, world that's probably not always sensitive enough is the enzyme immunoassays. So what is the natural course of the disease? Let's assume that you don't treat. Patients initially get worse, I imagine. Some recover, some don't. What's the course of the disease? Well, you go back to the 1980s, I think it was, and they did some studies. Maybe this was in the early 80s. And in fact, this may have even been in the 70s before the role of C. difficile organism was, was worked out maybe in the days that we called this clindamycin-associated colitis. It was shown that you'd stop the offending antibiotic and a whole lot of people would just get better on their own. I don't think that's the reality of, of clinical medicine today because, remember, things have changed in a lot of ways. You know, In those days, maybe our average length of stay was 10 days, and now we're talking under four days or five days at least for an average length of stay in an acute care hospital. And, of course, the antibiotics we're using are more broad-spectrum and, and potent and things. So that's not what anyone's generally doing today. I think if, if someone is it's got diarrhea, especially if they've had at least three unformed bowel movements in a 24-hour period, and they're C. difficile positive, most people will initiate therapy. And most people will do quite well on the primary therapy, which is usually metronidazole for mild cases. I want to thank Dr. L. Clifford McDonald from the CDC, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the diagnosis and treatment of Clostridium difficile infections. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We would really like to hear from you. For comments and questions about this program or suggestions for other shows, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening.